want to ask you just to go ahead and look up at the cross for a moment while you hear these words. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus was the suffering servant that Isaiah pointed towards with these amazing words. Jesus died in our place so that we would receive eternal life. By his wounds, we are healed. We've been going through Isaiah all summer, as nearly all of you must know by now. And we've been asking the question, how are we implicated in the story that Isaiah is telling? And today, the good news is that we are implicated in what happened on the cross because he died in our place. He was pierced for our transgressions. This is a joyful implication. Who does not want to be implicated in that good news story? Only one who has a hard heart. He died in our place. Implication number one. Jesus died in our place. He was pierced for our transgressions. We receive eternal life. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. But there is a second implication of the cross that we're going to look at this morning. It's harder to hear. It's harder to receive. But 1 Peter chapter 2 outlines it for us, the second implication. The first one is that Jesus is our substitute, that he went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to as our substitute. But the second implication of the cross, which Peter shows us, is that he wasn't just our substitute. Jesus is also our example. He is our example. And if we ever suffer for doing good like he suffered for doing good, we will know how to behave by looking at his behaviors. How did Jesus respond to injustice? How did Jesus respond to oppression? How did Jesus respond when the authorities over him treated him not as he deserved? If we look to him, if we fix our eyes on him, knowing that he is our substitute, but also knowing that he is our example, we will know how to respond if we ever suffer for doing good. Has anyone here ever suffered for doing good? If it happens again in our future, we will know how to respond because Jesus is our example. 1 Peter 2 outlines it for us. We're going to spend the rest of our time studying 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have your Bible open, you can look at it with me. If you brought your own personal Bible, I'm going to show you four words in 1 Peter chapter 2, to circle or to underline or to highlight four words. Or if you brought an iPad or an iPhone with a Bible app, you can highlight it there. If you brought a Kindle or some pathetic Microsoft knockoff, <laughs> if they allow the Bible on those evil devices, you can try to highlight these four words there. I'm a Mac user, obviously. I'm going to show you four words to circle in your own Bible. If you don't have one, you can just remember to circle these when you get home. 
These are the secondary implication of what happened on the cross. The first word I invite you to circle comes in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. And it's the word example. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says this. For to this you have been called. What is this? Suffering for doing good. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Go ahead and circle that word example if you brought your own personal Bible. If we ever suffer for doing good, Jesus is our example for how to respond. Think about how he responded in those days, in those hours leading up to his death. However he responded, he is our example for how to respond if we ever suffer for doing good. It's an amazing uh, phrase here in in, uh, verse 21, that we might follow in his steps. Now let's think about that for a moment, just very literally, very practically. If you were to be around Jesus as he walked and lived and breathed in Israel 2,000 years ago, if you literally followed in his steps, if you saw his sandals wherever they went and you followed in his steps, where would those steps eventually lead you? To the cross. Jesus is our example that we might follow in his steps even to the cross. Are you ready for that? I want to say that as we circle each of these four words, each one is going to be harder to hear than the last. Jesus is our example that we might follow in his footsteps even as he walks to the cross. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I've just heard two different truths. One is that Jesus went to the cross so that I wouldn't have to. And secondly, I've just heard the pastor say that I have to follow him to the cross. So which one is it? Well, I think Jesus was thinking about that very thing when in Luke 9, verse 23, he said to those who were around him, he said, if anyone here would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and then come follow me. What Jesus is saying to his followers and what he's saying to us is that even though he went to the cross in our place ultimately so that we wouldn't have to suffer under the wrath of God, he also invites us into the Christ life, not living for self-advancement every day, but living like he did, laying down his life for the sake of others. Think of all the fruit that came out of Jesus' sacrifice. It's counter-instinctual. We would want him to come in with a mighty army to conquer all the enemies. And that's what we think too sometimes. If we ever suffer for doing good, we think we should rise up and and squash the one who is oppressing us. But look how much more fruit came when he laid down his life willingly. And that's what he invites us to do as as his example, to lay down our lives for the sake of others, to go against instinct. If we ever suffer for doing good, Jesus is our example. Now, there's another word I want you to circle. As I said, each one is a little bit harder to receive than the previous. If we ever suffer for doing good, our actions should be honorable. Honorable. First Peter 2, verse 11, you can circle it. It says, Beloved, I urge you, This is verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, 
which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Keep your actions honorable. If we ever suffer for doing good, Jesus is our example and our actions should be honorable always. Why? Because Peter's inviting us to think about the long game. The long game. He says if, you are, if your actions are honorable, even if you're suffering for doing good, those who are uh, inflicting the harm against you will one day, the day of visitation, that's the last day, that's the final day, on that day they will remember what they saw you do. And on that day they will glorify God. You hear the long game approach that Peter is inviting us to think about? If we ever suffer for doing good, our actions should remain honorable. There was a retiring bishop in Chicago, the Archbishop of the Chicago Diocese. In 2010, he retired. And he was thinking out loud one day in a speech that he was making about how our world is changing, how our society is changing, it's becoming more secular. And he was wondering where this was all going for Christians, if our country is becoming more and more secular. And he said this amazing thing. He said, I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison. And his successor will die a martyr in the public square. His successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. Did you hear that? That is the long game. He was wondering if our society becomes more and more secular, what would happen to Christians that we might suffer for doing good. And I did a little research on this. I wanted to make sure this man actually said these words. And I read an interview that he gave just last year. And he said he was a bit frustrated because uh, people were quoting this quote of his, but they were leaving out the last sentence. They were quoting him saying that he plans, he expects to die in bed, his successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square, and then they would stop there, and he said, That's, they're missing the whole point, that the successor after him will help rebuild a broken society. We heard it read just a few weeks ago, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Brothers and sisters, if we remain honorable in our actions, if we ever suffer for doing good, the whole civilization might be collapsing around us. But if we remain true to our example, the way Jesus behaved when he was treated unjustly, the church will remain and it will outlast even our civilization. If we ever suffer for doing good, Jesus is our example and our actions should be honorable. Now, this one we kind of get, we kind of understand it. There's a little bit of a, a Boy Scout mentality in all of us, I think. If we ever start to suffer for doing good, yes, let's remain honorable. But the next word I want you to circle is much harder to hear. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Circle those first two words. Be subject. If you have the NIV, it says, be submissive. This is hard to hear. 
If we ever suffer for doing good, our actions should be honorable and submissive. Let's hear how it plays out. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Is the Bible really calling us? to submit to unjust and oppressive authorities over us? This is a hard one to receive, isn't it? Fortunately, we have a great modern-day example. Our brothers and sisters in China have been dealing with unjust laws. And about 30 years ago or so, the Chinese communist government passed a new law regarding Christian house churches. A lot of the Christians were leaving the state-sanctioned churches because the gospel wasn't being preached there. They were starting to worship in their homes. And the Chinese government found out about this, and they decided that some of these these house churches were becoming too large. So they passed a new law that said if any house church gets to 20 people, it's too big, and they have to go start another one somewhere. And so the Chinese Christians said, okay. And do you know what happened? The church exploded. Because a house church would get to 20 people and they'd say, well, I guess we got to go start another one down the street. And that one would get to 20 people and they'd start another one. That one would get to 20 people and Christianity flourished. Because they submitted to this strange and unjust law, God used it to bear much fruit. See, it's counterintuitive for us when we really receive God's word. What we would want the word to say is, if you're ever living under an unjust government, rise up and take them down. But God says, Jesus is our example. He could have done that. Our actions should be honorable and, yes, submissive. Because he will do more with our submission than we could do with our vengeance. Now, maybe you're thinking about the ultimate extreme of this example. Maybe Hitler comes to mind. What if there was a Hitler? Do we really submit to that law? Well, I'm glad you're thinking about that because Dietrich Bonhoeffer had this very same struggle. I I would encourage you to read one of his biographies. They're fascinating. Bonhoeffer was a Christian brother in Germany when the Nazi regime was rising, and he really struggled with this very question. Should he break the law in trying to take down Hitler? Should he break the law or not when he's trying to spread the gospel of Christ's love in this place that had so radically changed on him? And in his writings, he deals with this. And interestingly, most of the time when he did break the law, those endeavors were fruitless. But it's when he, used, when he worked within the laws that were being passed that that's the actions that bore the most fruit. Isn't that interesting? But I would encourage you to read Bonhoeffer on this because he really struggles with it. And I hope that you are too because they're getting into a zone here theologically where it becomes very complicated. Do we really submit to governmental laws that are unjust? And here's the way I want to resolve it a little bit. 
We ultimately, as Christians, submit, as it says in 1 Peter, to God's will, to God's law. And here's the truth. If we are ever asked by our government to do something that goes against God's law, we are ultimately answerable to him. That's when we can break the law, even if it means we become persecuted. And if and when we become persecuted for following God's law, if it goes against our laws, how do we respond? With Jesus as our example, with honorable actions and submissive, ones that are submissive to God's law. There's another thing you might be thinking about with all of this, at least I did this week. Is the Bible really saying that if you're in an environment, maybe it's your workplace or even your home, where you're being oppressed, is the Bible really saying you're supposed to submit to your oppressive person in your workplace or your home? Well, here's the good news. We have laws in this country that, have, that can advocate for you if you're a victim like that. And I invite you, if that's happening to you in your workplace or your home, say something. Speak up. Because the laws in our country will advocate for you to get you out of that situation. But also know this. If you are suffering for doing good, if you're suffering unjustly, you have a companion in Jesus Christ who suffered for doing good, who was abused, who was afflicted, who was pierced, and he is with you if you are suffering for doing good. Please hear that. If we ever suffer for doing good, Jesus is our example. Our actions should be honorable. Our actions should be submissive. And lastly, this is the hardest one of all. I'll have you circle one more word in uh, verse 20, 1 Peter 2, verse 20. The word is gracious. Gracious, 1 Peter 2, verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. A gracious thing. The Greek word there is charis, which just means grace. Again, think about Jesus as our example. When he suffered for doing good, his grace was pouring out over all of humanity. Think of the prayer that Jesus prayed while he was being beaten on the cross. What did he pray for his oppressors? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was giving grace. His actions were gracious. He was suffering for doing good. His actions were honorable, submissive, and above all, gracious. Do you know what our instincts tell us to do when we've been wronged? We would want, if I was on that cross, I might say, okay, Father, now's the time to bring down those armies of angels and inflict your wrath upon these evildoers. But instead, he spoke grace. He spoke forgiveness from the cross. We have another modern-day example of this. You know, in our country, over the last several months, we've had a number of these situations of injustice happening in a number of cities. And they can come to mind now, even as you're thinking about it. Well, one of those situations was quite unique. In almost all of those cities where injustice was inflicted on a person or people, they uh, rose up and they rioted and there was violence in response. But there was one that was different. Charleston. Why is that? 
I think it's because the families of the victims spoke grace. They spoke forgiveness within 24 hours after their loved ones had been martyred in a church. They got to a microphone. They stood in front of a camera. And you know what they said? We forgive him. And there was peace in the streets of Charleston in the following days. You see, it's counter-instinctual. It's, it's different than what we would want to do. If we were harmed in that way, I would want to get in front of a microphone and say, go find them. Take them down. But when we speak forgiveness, when we speak grace, God can do more with that than we could ever do with our vengeance. If we ever suffer for doing good, Jesus is our example. Our actions should be honorable. Our actions should be submissive. Our actions should be gracious. Those people in Charleston had the heart of Christ when such unspeakable tragedy came to them. They spoke forgiveness. They spoke grace. Just a couple of days ago, God gave me a, I don't know, a test on all of this. He knew I was going to be preaching on this, and I got ripped off. I got stolen from on Friday. I bought something on Craigslist, and it was fraudulent. I paid this guy money. I looked him right in the eyes when we exchanged, and I said, God bless you. And I walked away and realized he had given me something fraudulent. I was so mad. And then I started thinking, okay, Jesus is my example. And I realized I had one more correspondence with him. You know, if any of you have used Craigslist, you can email anonymously. And I had one more chance to email this guy who had ripped me off. And here's what I wrote in the email. I said, I said um, God forgives you for what you did to me tonight. I believe that he has a better life for you than the life you're living, and I'm praying for you. And I have been praying for him. And later that night, I was on the phone with Nancy. She's in New Jersey with her parents, and we were praying together over the phone as we were falling asleep. And I started praying for the man, and Nancy said, no, don't, don't pray for him. I'm not ready to pray for him. <laughs> She's now praying for him, but it, it's... I tell that to you because it's really, it really is counterinstinctual. What this word is teaching us in 1 Peter chapter 2 goes against our instincts. We think if we ever suffer for doing good, we should rise up and take down the oppressor. But God can do more with our actions that are honorable, submissive, and gracious than we could ever do with our vengeance. Brothers and sisters, this is our path forward if our country really does turn into a completely secularized state. We should have the heart of Christ. He is our example. He's our substitute. Yes, if you've been coming to Sandwich for any measure of time, you've heard us say that over and over again. He was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus died in our place as our substitute. But the harder implication is that he's also our example. If we ever suffer for doing good, Jesus is our example. He will bear much fruit in us if we respond with honorable, submissive, and gracious actions. Amen.